our text uh, this morning is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in particular verses 17 and 18, but I will read uh, that entire uh, chapter. It will uh, be familiar to you um, as it refers to what the passage from Exodus. This is the word of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency uh, is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Pray with me. Today, Spirit, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we may see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Send out your light and truth today. Give us ears to hear. Illumine our minds and enlarge our hearts to know our Jesus. 
where there is apathy, wake us up from our sleep. Where there is weakness of faith, beautify Jesus in our hearts. Where there is weariness of heart, make Jesus lovely to our eyes. And seeing him, may we be changed. In his name we do pray. Amen. Well, the Spirit of God uh, sanctifies us in many ways. Sometimes we can focus on one way and not look so much at other ways. Uh, one way that I am fascinated with, uh, uh, that the Spirit uses, is He enables and causes us to reflect on our younger selves. This is from Romans chapter 6. He says this, What benefit did you derive from the things of which you are now ashamed? Great question. What benefit did anger do for you? How did your bitterness help you? How does greed and envy help you in your Christian life? That's one good way. Look back and say, what did the Spirit show me about the foolishness of sin? Another way that the Spirit uses, another thing the Spirit uses to sanctify us is as we follow the Puritan tradition and the tradition of the Psalms to address our souls with God's truth. Psalm 103 basically says, soul of mine, don't forget all your benefits. You've been forgiven. You've been crowned. You've been healed, soul. Remember it. A neglected theme, however, uh, comes from the scriptures. We have both a negative example, many negative examples, but positive ones as well. The negative examples are, are found, for example, in Psalm 115. And basically it is this. Idol worshippers look like what they worship. Idol worshippers look alive, but they are spiritually dead. Psalm 115, verse 4 and following. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they make no, uh, no sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. On the positive side, if you gaze on Christ and on his glory, the Spirit makes you more like him. Are you this morning discouraged with your progress? Should have been farther along, you might think. Look to Jesus and keep looking to him. The Spirit does change you. Our text says from one degree of glory to another. No matter where you are this morning, my dear friends, there is hope for you as well.
My theme from this text is, is simply this. Gaze on Christ's glory and the Spirit will build His glory into you. Gaze on Christ's glory and the Spirit will build His glory into you. Keep on gazing upon Christ and His glory and don't give up the Spirit at work. First then, gaze on Christ's glory. Uh, the Spirit alone unveils your faith. And we see this in the Old Testament reference. Israel couldn't tolerate seeing God's glory. They couldn't gaze on Moses. Um, Moses was unveiled as he met with God. And then he would keep that veil off when he was addressing God's people with what God had said. But then he would cover up again so that the uh, Israelites couldn't see the fading Old Covenant glory. So it is, the Spirit uncovers your faith and unveils your heart so that you can see God's glory. Again, look with me at verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, better of the Spirit. This comes from the Lord of the Spirit. We, um, we may love the shorter catechism. I do. Um, and, and the question and answer dealing with our effectual call. How is it that God works in us and changes us so that we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? This is a summary of it. The Spirit enlightens our minds re- and renews our wills so that we choose Christ and, and we embrace Christ. The Spirit is working in us to change what we love change what we trust in so that we come to faith in the Lord Jesus. And if I could somewhat boldly but humbly say if I could change one thing about that definition, it would be adding just a little phrase to it and this is also how you grow as a Christian. Independence on the Spirit, looking unto Christ, Your wills renewed in repentance, and you choose to embrace uh, to embrace Christ. The Spirit alone unveils your face, and He does so so that you can see Christ unveiled before you. God's glory, of course, burst into full display in Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, remember the last week of Jesus' life on earth before His crucifixion. Um, he uh, what was uh, speaking with his disciples. We read of this mostly in John chapter 14 and following. But, and he has gone to the trouble saying, if you have seen me, you have seen my father also. He's just said that. And, and Philip, not getting it, says this one thing. Jesus, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Well, if you 
If you were to describe the heart of Jesus in, in just a couple of words, what words would you use? I, I think most of us would use a word like this. We, we would use the word holy, which is absolutely true, of course. We would speak of his loving nature. We would speak of his power. And those are all wonderful truths. But when the given Jesus one time in the Gospels self-describes, he says what he's like. And we see that in, in Matthew chapter 11. And he identifies himself as gentle and lowly. The glory of Christ in his gentleness and lowliness. Can you see him that way? A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What others throw away, what others get rid of, Jesus says, this is just the one I want. Your past, your flaws, as resistant to change as they are, do not disqualify you. You are just the one he can use. Beholding Jesus, then, we are changed. The question we must ask ourselves at this point is, what are you looking at and what catches your eye? We can think about things out there that we look at and are fascinated by. Lifeless things, which the Psalm 115 tells us, lead to lifelessness in our own souls. Um, wealth doesn't get you anywhere. Um, security in, this, in the things of this life is, is short-lived. Um, it, it could be the lifelessness of a screen that catches your eye every day before you even get out of bed. You're looking at your screen. And, and that is your glory. The latest information, the latest sport stores, scores, or whatever it might be. And when you're looking at your phones like that in a fascinated way, and my living mate reminds me of that sometimes, so I'm not talking just to you. But when you're fascinated with the screen, other people are dead to you. You don't see them. You don't interact with them. You're focused on your little world. So there are things out there that you can be focused on. There are also things in here that you can gaze upon as opposed to gazing upon Christ. One thing, a main thing, would be our own failures. We, we just stay stuck as we are fascinated with our own slow progress and our failures and we castigate ourselves and just don't make any progress to speak of. Or we might look at our successes and find that we are really better off than a lot of people. That's got to count for something. And so I need Jesus less, just a little bit less. Our text calls us to look up instead and to gaze upon your gentle and lowly Jesus. I was discipling a man a couple of years ago, uh, and, and uh, he, he came to this point as we were meeting together. And this is what he said. I feel, and somewhat frustrated with his progress, but what he said is, I feel like I need 
to know Jesus. And did my heart soar at that? I encourage you then to soak up passages of Scripture that help you to look away from yourself and look to Christ. For the last probably six months, I have been praying absolutely every day a psalm. I'm sure I've missed one, but I've prayed it a lot. Psalm 105, verse 4. Seek the Lord. Not myself and not what I, other things that I want. Seek the Lord and His strength. Don't be dependent on myself. Seek His presence, the indwelling Spirit. Continually seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Latch on to a, a psalm, a verse like that, and just camp out there and say, Lord, let me see You more clearly. And we pray. We pray because we don't see uh, what the Lord wants us to. This is a prayer then from Ephesians 3. So important. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how, how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness, the measure of God. Pray that. Pray that. And the Spirit does transform you. Uh, the Spirit, it is the Spirit's work to transform you. It is not, it is not uh, your work alone. Sometimes we can think, given enough time, given enough self-discipline, we can change anything about us. I can control my tongue. I can control my evil thoughts. John Owen describes the real problem with that kind of perspective. And, and it is what he calls decays of grace. Decays of grace. Deadness coldness, lukewarmness, spiritual stupidity, hmm. senselessness comes over us. What is the hope for healing? Owen says the only hope for healing is a fresh view of the glory of Christ by faith, by steadily abiding in Him. He says, constant contemplation of Christ and His glory has transforming power of life-giving grace. Amen. Beholding the glory of Christ. Where do we see Christ at His most glorious? Interesting, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all contain the story of, of Jesus' transfiguration, which is glorious indeed. John doesn't. He cites another form of glory, that's from John chapter 12, where the Greeks would came to Philip and said, we would see Jesus. Show us Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he is glorified as he is lifted up on the cross for our sins. The gentle, lowly Jesus raised for us. You know, as I was reading um, 
the passage from Exodus earlier? I imagine one or two of you, maybe more of you, had a thought like this. Wow! If I could see that kind of glory, my life would be changed! What what does uh, Paul say about it? That was a ministry of death and of condemnation that had no power to change you. We look instead upon Jesus who was condemned for you. And we look at Jesus who died for you. And Jesus who is now in you. So much better than God tracing with his finger the law on Sinai's stone tablets. Instead, it is the Spirit's finger reshaping your heart. Verse 9 of this text says, that is the ministry that brings righteousness and it must far exceed old covenant glory. That is the beauty of spirit wrought gentleness and compassion rising in us. Have you seen it? Have you seen mercy rise up in your heart for the undeserving? Well, this grows in us as we see Jesus. Um, and, and as we see Jesus, we finally see ourselves more clearly. And we find out that repenting isn't that bad after all. That can actually be a good thing. Um, Calvin puts it this way, no one achieves a clearer knowledge of self unless he has first looked upon God's face. You're back uh, at the crucifixion of Jesus. You're watching in the courtyard Jesus uh, being dealt with harshly uh, by the Romans. And and you overhear Peter, who is denying Jesus. Luke's the only one that includes this note. And that as he was speaking that third denial, Jesus turned and looked to him, looked at him. Their eyes caught. And and what might have been just a second or two must have felt endless to Peter. He was exposed before the holiness of his God. The shame of exposure uh, led him to flee with nowhere to hide, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And we learn one thing from this, that despair isn't that bad. (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you see Jesus and you mourn and you are meek and you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Show me my heart, we might say to the Lord at this moment. Show me my heart, but show me Jesus as well. Then you are free to walk in the freedom of the Spirit. Uh, Michael Reeves, one of my favorite current Theologians puts it this way, only the love of Christ has power to uncoil a human heart. Our hearts get so tangled up in self, and yet Jesus kindly draws us out of our own confusion and myopic self-centeredness to see his, his glory, to see his mercy. And notice what happens to Peter. Jesus, even before he, uh, Jesus, even before Peter repents, says this to him. Peter, after you've turned, the word repentance, after you've turned, strengthen your brothers. He had used for Peter this bruised reed. Jesus, the merciful and powerful rescuer, enabled Peter to be among those who rejoiced, the book of Acts says, 
to suffer for Christ. For verse 17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Dear people of God, does your gaze upon Jesus both expose you and liberate you? Do you see things that are ugly, that you don't like, you're sick of, but feel stuck with? See also Jesus, the liberator. And that true freedom is the ability now to do what you really want to do. Compassion for others. Why? Because you've tasted his compassion for you. Gentleness towards others, even other difficult people. Because you see Jesus' gentleness with you. You are able to be one. Are you able to be one? Who then then is able to forgive because you have known the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. You've tasted his. You're able to give it away. And all of that then leads you to expect growth. And how the text describes our growth, it is from glory to more glory. It is, it is glorious, but becoming more glorious. I, I, I know that many of you have heard me say this before, but today's... This is from, this is from our friend uh, Herman Bolling. Today's sanctification is the early stage of your eventual glorification. The changes that are going on right now in you by the Spirit are the early phases of that great change that will come when we see Jesus as He is. Gospel, the Epistle to John. The Holy Spirit is pressing His righteousness into the folds of of our hearts and forming us little by little into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. Uh, It's a thousand mini glory steps, so small that you might miss them. And yet, you look back and wonder, especially the longer you live, you look back and wonder. And even, Gail mentioned in the car on the way in here this morning, that she's aware of two things. She's aware that God is changing her, but she's also, and I say she, because we're all in the same boat. This is not just Gail, all right? She's aware of two things. We're aware of two things. God is changing us. And there is much more that we see now that he needs to change. But he's at work. He's doing it. We don't yet see the glory of heaven, but what we see is real change. We see and feel the wind of the Spirit. That self-righteous judging is being melted into gentle patience. Do you see that in yourself? That once cutting tongue that erupts so easily it is building others up. Do you see that? The Spirit is growing you from glory to glory until that one day that you will, you will be like Jesus because you will see Him as, his, as He is. And I'm here to tell you, dear friends, you are on, if your faith is in Christ, if you're united to Christ, you are on your way full of hope. Expect the Spirit to change you more and more, deeper and deeper. Very briefly, four things. 
Expect the Spirit to change you more and more and deeper and deeper. Four questions. Are things mattering less? A hymn that we love to sing is, The things of this world grow strangely dim. Do you remember that? What, what draws your eye? It's becoming less attractive, those things out there. Why? The things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Like Moses, who refused sin's fleeting pleasure, he considered reproaches of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Even Moses saw Christ as more attractive to his soul than all of the opulence of Egypt. That's free. Are things mattering less? Secondly, is the gentle and lowly Jesus making you more gentle and lowly? Is the gentle and lowly Jesus making you more gentle and lowly? A number of years ago, many, many years ago, um, I was driving my parents to Westminster Theological Seminary for commencement exercises. Um, Sam Logan, who was the president at that time, had reached out to my dad. This was going to be his, six, his 60th anniversary of his graduation from seminary. And he and all others from his class, he was the only one who was able to come, uh, came to that, uh, came to that uh, commencement. And I drove him. In fact, I called Sam up and I said, Sam, I got this crazy note from my dad. Is this, is this true? You want him to come to graduation? You're going to put him up in a hotel and you're going to ask him to speak? Is, is that really? Yes, that was what was going on. All right, we're in the car, the three of us, mom, dad, and myself. And as we get closer and closer to Philadelphia, my mom says this, Chuck, this looks familiar. Did we ever live here? And Dad said, yes, Norm, we used to live here. Maybe 60 seconds later, Mom said, Chuck, this looks familiar. Did we ever live here? Yes, Norm, we used to live right around here. 90 seconds later, Chuck, this area really looks familiar. Did we ever live here? Yes, Norm. We uh, used to live right here. I'm trying to, trying to keep the car on the road as I'm observing this. Because what stunned me was, was not my mother's inability to remember, but what stunned me was the gentleness and the evenness of Dad answering that question probably a half a dozen times without a change in intonation, without a hint of irritation. He just answered his wife of 60 years that question. He was in the last year of his life, didn't know it then, but he was in the last year of his life. And what was I observing? And I say this not to discourage you, but to encourage you. He was displaying 
the Spirit's deep work over time. Keep looking to Jesus. Are, are you still a ways from being gentle and lowly? Keep looking to Jesus. Number, number three, parents, do you speak to your children of Jesus and not just his commands? Hearing the commands apart from Jesus is, is really an invitation to build a pharisaical heart in our children. It just is. We, we need to do these things and then we can find the approval of both parents and God through our behavior. Here's, here's something else instead. Parents, speak to your children. Don't, don't just speak to your children of Jesus. Share with them um, something of his work in your life. Do your kids see you happy in Jesus? Maybe that would be the first thing. Do your kids see you happy in your Savior? He's enough. He's a forgiving, gracious, indwelling God who enables us to face the vagaries of this life without, without being crushed. Are you repenting freely? You might share how he's humbled your proud heart by his mercy. Talk to your children not just about the beauty of the law, but the beauty of the lawgiver, the beauty of Jesus, our merciful King. Fourthly, do you speak to Jesus, speak of Jesus to one another? A friend of, a friend of mine in a church in, in, uh, in Vineland put it this way, and, and he, he, looks, he looks for what he calls Holy Spirit sightings. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. And he encourages people in the congregation to do the same thing. Um, thanking God for this place of freedom to know and to love and to be known and, and to be loved um, and to be known. Uh, and, and, uh, and we have this glory in the cross. There is no image we need to protect. We don't have to pretend. We can be honest. And we can be, we can be uh, glad recipients of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell, tell others where you see the Spirit's work in them. Where you see God working mercy and gentleness and humility in their lives. The Spirit's on the move. He's changing us. And finally, um, at conclusion here, finally the final judgment makes sense. Um, oftentimes Jesus sounds so very works-based. Uh, by your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned, and good trees produce good fruit. And, and what, what, do, what do we do with that? Well, we understand that, that the basis for our acceptance with God now and, in, and as we enter heaven, the basis for our acceptance into the family of God is the righteousness of Jesus that is reckoned to us, imputed to us. But listen, people, this is, this is beautiful that where the Holy Spirit lives, there is fruit. Where the Holy Spirit lives, there is always fruit to prove that you're in Christ and Christ is in you. Have you gazed upon Him and wanted Him and loved Him and trusted Him? Well, on that great day, that great day of judgment, I... I, I can see the two of you, you and Jesus, marveling 
together at what the Spirit has done. So don't stop praying for the fruit that brings a smile to Jesus' face. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that more and more you would, by the power of the Spirit, enable us to be fascinated with you, your glory, your holiness, your power, your gentleness, and your humility. Please work in us. You have more than enough grace to cover our shortfalls. And as we prepare for the supper, we're, we're ready for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.